Hello, friends. I'm Nick LaPara, and this is the Let's Give a Damn podcast, the show you listen to when you want to hear from people who are giving a damn and making the world a much better place in so many unique and meaningful ways. Thank you for hitting play. Thank you for showing up this week. And most of all, thank you for joining us on this journey toward leaving the planet much better than we found it. Today, my friends, will be a little different. I haven't done a solo show, a monologue in quite some time. I have COVID. My producer is on vacation. So it seemed like a solid time to do it. And like most of the monologues, I strip away the fancy production and music and fade-ins and fade-outs. I hit record. I talk for as long as I need to. I hit stop. And then I upload it for you. No do-overs. You are getting me raw, unfiltered. So settle down, settle in. Uh, I just mentioned that I have COVID. I avoided it for two and a half years. I probably should not have worn it like a badge that I was, you know, living so carefully. Um, But I'm immunocompromised, so I wanted to avoid it forever, hopefully, but at least as long as possible. And it finally got me. Uh, three of us are down in my house right now. Two of my kids, I have it. My wife and my other kid are trying to avoid it. They're doing a great job. We're all quarantined. But I'm four days into a COVID quarantine and I feel just okay. So I still have a bit of a runny nose. I have some labored breathing because I have really bad asthma. One of the reasons I never wanted to get it because that was something that was scary to me. Thankfully, with these wonderful vaccines and booster shots, it's been very mild. But because of my runny nose and my somewhat labored breathing, bear with me. Uh, You might hear an occasional weird noise. A few things I want to mention before we get into the main uh, chunk of content, uh, what I want to talk about today. Three things before we get into the main part. First, fuck Christopher Columbus. Fuck him. Uh, Yesterday was Indigenous Peoples Day. If you're listening to this when it comes out, October 11, yesterday, October 10, Indigenous Peoples Day. Uh, But since some people, and by some people, I mean millions and millions of Americans, since some people still think Columbus sailed the ocean blue in 1492, broke bread with the Native Americans over a Thanksgiving feast like the cartoons showed us growing up, Because so many still believe that, here are a few reminders. Christopher Columbus never even set foot in North America. Christopher Columbus never discovered a goddamn thing. Christopher Columbus spent his pathetic life raping, kidnapping, murdering, and pillaging. And the very fact, this really hit me this year. The very fact that Columbus Day was ever a thing, that it ever became a holiday, means that we, many of you are young, uh, so maybe you didn't get it as much at school, but me, 39 and older especially, we were spoon-fed truckloads of bullshit growing up about who Christopher Columbus is, was, and what he did. And we must right that wrong in this generation so that 
the kids, our kids, and their kids, and their kids know the truth and are able to live in that truth. So on Indigenous Peoples Day, we honor the people who are the rightful owners of the land that we get to live on, land that we are borrowing. And we also use it. Some people, I saw a lot of people posting, and there's nothing to comment on, really. I, I never said anything out loud to those people. But they would say, Happy Indigenous Peoples Day. Um, not really a happy day. It took them long enough to even get recognized in a bunch of states. And really, it's horrific, the things that they have had to go through. They they predated Westerners. They predated white people by tens of thousands of years on this land. And in the past 500, really in the past in 130 years after colonizers came to this land, 95% of Native American population was wiped out. Think about that. In 130 years after colonizers came, 95% of Native Americans were gone. They were wiped out. Humongous millions just genocide. So I see Indigenous Peoples Day as a step forward, but it's not really happy. We should mourn with them for all they've been through and for all they've lost. Second, sorry, I'm going to try to speed this up. I don't want you all here forever. Second, I hope you've been following what's happening in Iran. It's not just news for Iranians, but for all of us. The recent massive uprising that started just a few weeks ago on September 16 or after September 16, when Masa Amini was murdered while in police custody. She was, as you most of you know, arrested and beaten by the morality police those enforcing Iran's strict dress code because her head covering was too loose. She was then taken into police custody and never came out alive. Since her death, thousands and thousands of Iranian girls and women have removed their hijabs and cut their hair publicly out in the street, not under cover of night or in their homes. They are leaving their homes in front of the men that they used to be scared of they are ripping their hijabs off and cutting their hair with scissors, defying those in charge, the men in charge. Tens of thousands have taken to the streets. It's so wild and so encouraging to see this. It's so bold, so brave of them. They're literally risking their lives doing this. And so I say all that to say this, we must continue to support them in any way that we can. Don't forget about our Iranian sisters and daughters and mothers, our siblings over there that need our support and help, they're going to continue to need it. Third, before we get into the main part of this podcast, three books are being released today on October 11 that I think you need to buy. Real quickly, one is by a former guest of the podcast and two are by future podcast guests. Now, I'm not doing that because they're associated to the podcast in some way or will be. I'm doing it because these are amazing humans and these books need to be purchased by you. They need to be consumed by you. They are good. They are great. Uh, number one, by former podcast guest, Fred Joseph, who was on the podcast earlier this year. Fred and his wife, Portia, wrote a book called Better Than We Found It, Conversations to Help Save the World. Out today, October 11. Go get it. Next, Ruha Benjamin, who will be on the podcast in a few months at the beginning of 2023, has a book out today called Viral Justice, How We Grow the World We Want. Get it. 
That sounds like a let's give a damn thing, right? Viral justice. Lastly, Reza Aslan. I love him and his family. His wife, Jessica, is a real good friend of mine. She was in the podcast a couple years ago. Jessica Jackley, go find that episode. And she's on the board of directors of the new Let's Give a Damn Cares nonprofit. Reza has a book out today called An American Martyr in Persia, The Epic Life and Tragic Death of Howard Baskerville. Go get it. So here's what I'll say. Consider buying at least one of these books. We must support authors and great books now more than ever for lots of reasons. So many things are going digital, right? So many people are, and, and because of our the overwhelming number, the overwhelming amount of content that is being produced, video, TV, film, audio, fewer books are being consumed than ever before. And so for that reason, and because so many of these great books are being banned by schools and counties and states all over this country. We need to support these authors now more than ever. Okay, friends, I'm going to do something weird today. I'm going to share a sermon with you. Don't leave. Don't cringe. And please don't have any PTSD flashbacks. It's me. You can trust me. I'm not going to put any bullshit in front of you. But seriously, I do want to share a sermon with you. I just started a residency at a very amazing, justice-forward, very progressive church in Manhattan called Middle Church. You might remember a podcast from a few months ago with Reverend Dr. Jackie Lewis about her new book, Fierce Love. Remember that one? She's the head minister there. And so I just started a residency. I'm their new entrepreneur in residence that simply means that I'm going to be helping the leadership, those within the church, those outside of the church, but that are associated with the church, help them think through how they can be more purposeful and entrepreneurial in giving a damn, in spreading this message of fierce, fierce love. So they asked me to preach. <coughs> Sorry about that. That might be the first of a few coughs that you hear. I got through like 10 minutes without coughing. That's good. So they asked me to preach. In my past life, for those of you that know more of my story, I preached quite a bit. But I haven't preached in like six years. So hang with me for a bit. I've got some notes, but I've also not got some notes. I'm going to try not to go down too many rabbit trails I think that whether or not you have a religious background or not, whether or not you adhere to the Christian faith or another faith or no faith at all, I think there's something here for us. I really do. This sermon, obviously, because it's me preaching it, it's me giving the sermon, it's going to have to do with giving a damn. It's going to have to do with living a more meaningful life. The title of the sermon I gave last Sunday that I'm now going to share with you is something like this. We work not for our own good, but for the good of the children. We work not for our own good, but for the good of the children. Here goes. I'm going to try to make this sound as not sermony as possible. And forgive me ahead of time for some of the very religious overtones for some of you, again, that aren't used to sermons and preaching and all that. But I want to include it because 
here's another thing that I wanted to say before I start, before I begin. My faith is part of who I am. It's also something that I don't always like because of who and what and where and why it attaches me to, right? A lot of shitty, terrible, ugly, horrific things have happened throughout history and even in the last you know, few weeks, months, years have been done in the name of religion, specifically the Christian faith, the one that I happen to adhere to. And so I do enter this very humbly. Um, I'm delighted to share this with you, but I enter this time very, very humbly. Um, Here we go. I want to begin this way. I recognize that I'm going to talk about ideas and issues and even some scripture passages that really need months and years to fully discuss. And I'm going to dump all of it on you in 15 or 20 minutes. But it is what it is. And I hope it won't end here. May you continue discussing these things with me, with each other, with strangers, with friends, over meals, drinks, cigars, coffee for a long time to come. Because again, I think there's a lot of substance in what we're about to speak of over the next few minutes. The scripture passage that I'm going to use today comes from the common lectionary for that week, not this week, but the week of October 2. It's from Psalm 37, verses 1 through 9. I'm going to read them, and we're going to focus on verse 9. Don't get upset over evildoers. Don't be jealous of those who do wrong, because they will fade fast like grass. They will wither like green vegetables. Trust God and do good. Live in the land and farm faithfulness. Enjoy God and God will give what your heart asks. Commit your way to God. Trust God and God will act and will make your righteousness shine like the dawn, your justice like high noon. Be still before God and wait for God. Don't get upset when someone gets ahead, someone who invents evil schemes. Let go of anger and leave rage behind. Don't get upset. It will only lead to evil. And here's verse 9, the one we're going to focus on. Because evildoers will be eliminated, but those who hope in God, they will possess the land. They will possess the land. Those who hope in God. Let me say it another way. Those who hope in love, those who hope in justice, those who hope in peace, those who hope for a better world, because those are all parts of God, they will possess the land. Now, this passage seems important for all of life. Lots of good advice, right? Let go of anger and leave rage behind. It will only lead to evil. That's good advice. If you want to live well, do these things and don't do these other things if you want to get in trouble. Um, it also, I think I said that backwards, whatever. It also seems important to help us process through what kind of vision we share with our children and all children for the kind of world we want to leave them. Now, you may not have any children, whether that's by choice or you're not old enough or you're too old or whatever. 
this applies to you. And you'll, you'll get more context in a few minutes as to why. Maybe you don't think it applies to you. It applies to you because we're all passing some world, some planet down to the children, whether they belong to us or not. And here's the deal. There are many different ways we could approach talking about this topic, but we're going to focus on that. Really, how do we live in a way so that our kids, those who will possess the land, actually get something worth living in? I like, there's another translation of the Bible called the message. And in that verse nine, it goes something like this. Before long, the crooks will be bankrupt. God investors will soon own the store. I like that word picture. I like that, what that brings up in me. Those who invest in God will soon own the store. Again, how did I describe God earlier? Those who invest in love, those who invest, those who invest in peace, those who invest in uh, mercy, those who invest in hope, they will soon own the store. Now, let me say this right off the bat. When I read, they will possess the land. I hope your mind doesn't automatically go to Christian nationalism. Now, whether you are Christian or a person of faith or not, you know about Christian nationalism, especially if you live in these United States of America, these exceptionally unexceptional states of America, as I sometimes refer to them. This idea, Christian nationalism, is the idea that we must become a Christian nation and then a Christian world. And if the master plan works out all right, their Christian God will take over and mission accomplished, right? That is what Christian nationalists want. They want a nation, a world where everybody is thinking, behaving, doing the same kinds of things, believing in the same kind of God. That is not what I'm talking about. I don't think that's what the psalmist is talking about when they are talking about they will possess the land. If they hope in God, they will possess the land. Now, I grew up in that weird kind of theology, doom and gloom. They told us that everything, you know, if, if for everybody that didn't accept Jesus into their heart, that God was going to come take us all away one day and everybody left was going to burn here on the earth. Therefore, there was a real low view of how we should treat the earth, what we should do with the earth, how we should take care of it. And that's not true, though. That's not what's actually happening. As a universalist, I am a universalist. I believe everybody, every single person gets in. I don't know what in is exactly. I don't think it's the commonly talked about directly from scripture, Christian heaven. I don't think it's that at all. Gold streets, pearly gates, blah, 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 who are floating around and singing all day long. That's not it. I don't know what in is. I don't know what the afterlife looks like, but I believe everybody gets in. Here's why I believe that. Because as much as 
the Christian God has disappointed me as much as Christianity has disappointed me, as much as my faith has disappointed me over the past few years, I still believe in the universal love of God. And I believe everybody gets in, again, I don't know when or why or how or what in even is, but I believe everybody gets in because I believe that the universal love of God is too great and powerful to let anyone go. I believe everybody gets in. And so when I read verses like this, they communicate to me that one day evil will be defeated, love wins, and those who hope in God will own the store, as the message translation puts it. And since everyone gets in, I think that's really good news. Pause for another cough and a drink of my water real quickly. Oh, apologies. I made another 10 minutes. But here's the deal. Right now, we as a society are failing our children in a myriad of ways. And I don't want to get too political or bleak right off the bat here, but we are running out of time to make our future and our planet better for the children. Democracy is at stake in the coming weeks. If you live in the U.S., you know what that means. We've got some really intense midterm elections coming up. False idols are everywhere. Capitalism is actively ruining millions of lives just in this country alone. We're not going to address global issues right now. But we have multiple billionaires playing a very expensive game of who can get to Mars first, while Flint, Michigan still doesn't have water, clean water, and every day, Hundreds and thousands of people in this country go bankrupt because they can't pay their medical bills. They can't pay for that cancer treatment or that life-saving surgery. Things are messed up. Things are upside down. Things are topsy-turvy. Things are really bad. And we're not headed in the right direction, in a good direction for our children right now. I don't believe that in so many ways. So as a whole, we are thinking and acting and eating and talking and behaving in such short-sighted ways. This must change, my friends. It must. And you and I and we are going to be the ones to change it. So before we get to how are we going to do that, because I have a how, let's talk about why. Why we work not for our own good, but for the good of our children. Two points on why. First, Because we all belong to each other. I'm not going to get into the economic state of our country this morning, uh, this afternoon, whatever time of day it is that you're reading this or listening to this. But in my mind, the main reason that capitalism doesn't ultimately work is because it tells us that we are all running separate races. That at the end of the day, it's every person for themselves. And that we are all living our lives in ways that don't affect anyone else or anything else. But this is simply not the case. You and I know that. We know this. And here's what the brilliant Alan Watts, may he rest in peace, said about this. I don't know who I am unless you know who you are. And you don't know who you are unless you know who I am. In other words, we are not separate. We in our environment and all of us and each other are interdependent systems. We know who we are in terms of other people. We all lock together. If I could look at each one of you in the eye right now, 
I would point at you and say, hey, so-and-so, Jack, Jill, Bob, Sally, whoever you are, we lock together. We lock together. We are interdependent systems. We know who we are in terms of each other. We all lock together. And that feels good. But here's, uh, let me throw a monkey wrench in there. Let me, let me hit you with something that might not feel so good. Ron DeSantis supporters, we all lock together. Marjorie Taylor Greene supporters, we all lock together. My friend Justin, who was arrested multiple times on the steps of the Tennessee State Capitol in 2020 during the BLM rallies, and who led a group of people who stayed on the steps of the Tennessee State Capitol for 62 days straight, despite being arrested over 200 times in that group. Justin, we all locked together. Your conservative neighbor who believes women's health decisions are everyone's business, we all locked together. Zacchaeus, I don't know if you know about Zacchaeus from the Bible, people, but go look it up. It's a good story even if you don't have a faith background. Zacchaeus, a man that was universally hated, but Jesus wanted to hang out with him, we all locked together. Your Christian nationalist coworker who believes that their white six foot two washboard abs, Jesus is the only God slash deity that everyone must serve, that Christian nationalist coworker, you locked together with them. We don't have the luxury of not affecting other people with our lives and actions. What you do will affect my kids and their kids decades from now, and vice versa. We all lock together. The second reason why we work not for our own good, but for the good of all children is because we are borrowing all this from them. It's not ours. It's theirs. And someday it won't be theirs either. And they'll have to think through what they're passing on to the next generation and the next generation. There's this Native American proverb that goes something like this. We do not inherit the earth from our ancestors. We borrow it from our children. Let me say that again. We're not inheriting this earth from our ancestors. We borrow it from our children. In light of Indigenous Peoples Day, we have so much to learn from our indigenous siblings regarding how to care for the earth in ways that outlast us by decades and centuries. You've been to the grocery store, right? And seen these bottles of cleaning supplies from a company called Seventh Generation, right? You've seen them, but do you know what it means? Do you know what it means? Do you know what Seventh Generation means? Is it just clever branding? Let me tell you about seventh generation really briefly. It's the thousand year old Native American principle that essentially says that in every decision we make, whether it's personal, societal, political, whatever the type of decision we make, we must take into account how it will affect our descendants seven generations into the future. That's mind blowing. That is not how most of us think. Now, there's no set time frame for how long a generation is, but most people use the 20 to 30 year range. That means, friends, do some quick math with me here. 
That means that they run every decision. They're advocating for us to run every decision through the filter of how long, excuse me, how will this affect our children and their children and their children 140 to 210 years from now? Take quick inventory. Stop for a second. Think about the decisions wherever you're listening to this. Walking the dog, going on a run, on your way to work, on your way from work, wherever you are, at the gym. Think about the day behind you. The decisions you've already made. How to get places. What to wear. What you're eating. Are you thinking 140 to 210 years from now. We do not inherit the earth from our ancestors. We borrow it from our children. So that's the why. Why? Because we all lock together. Why? Because we're borrowing it from our children. Now, what about the how? How do we work in ways that help us think not just about our own shit, our own stuff, our own work and life and you know, building our bank accounts, but also for generations to come. How do we do that? There's, here's what we're going to do. We are going to, the way that we do that is we lead ourselves and our children by example into the future. Children don't need us telling them what to do. They need us showing them how to do it. We need to be training ourselves and leading ourselves and leading them, pointing them in the right direction as leaders. Any C.S. Lewis fans listening right now? I'm very aware that Tolkien strongly disliked the Chronicles of Narnia, but I happen to love them. I've read, I love C.S. Lewis. I know there's some problematic shit in there, whatever. I've read probably 40 to 45 of his books. I think he's written like 60 or 70. So I, I, I love the Chronicles of Narnia. I first read them about 20 years ago. And in The Horse and His Boy, King Loon is talking to Kor, his son, about becoming king. He has twin boys, twin prince boys, Kor and Corin. Kor is older by a few minutes. Kor does not want to be king. He wants his twin brother, Corin, who is 20 minutes younger, to be king. Kor doesn't want to be king because, quote, princes have all the fun, end quote. King Loon responds to his son by describing what makes a king a king. Now, I remember reading this, as I said, 20 years ago. I was visiting some friends in Zambia, Africa. I was out there for six, seven weeks, something like that. It was an amazing trip. We're out in the middle of nowhere. And... I brought a bunch of books, but I mainly brought the Chronicles of Narnia to read through for the first time. So if you do the math, I was 19, way later than most people read Chronicles of Narnia for the first time. It is what it is. That's when I read them. 20 years ago now. Pause, cough break. COVID sucks, y'all. Okay, back to it. So, King Loon describes for his son, Kor, 
what makes a king a king. And I remember thinking when I first read these 20 years ago, that sounds not just like a king. That sounds like what makes a leader a leader. And as I've grown up and matured and worked on so many different projects with so many different people, so many good and not so good people over the past two decades, I now believe the following that I'm about to read to you also describes parents, neighbors, activists, bankers, teachers, engineers, call center people, stay-at-home dads, nurses, all of you. I think we have a recipe in this story, in this kid's story, for how we can lead lives that will eventually give our kids a planet worth living in, worth living on. Here's what King Loon says. Ready? Again, Kor is fighting it. His dad says, here's what it means to be a king. For this is what it means to be a king. To be first in every desperate attack, last out in every desperate retreat. And when there's hunger in the land, as must be now and then in bad years, to wear finer clothes and laugh louder over a scantier meal than any man in your land. Three points there. Be the first one in. Be the last one out. Laugh the loudest. I think this is, it's not the only framework for living a meaningful life, but I think it's one of them. Let's quickly hit all three of these. Number one, be the first one in. It's time for action, friends. It is time for us to act, to move. Good intentions are fine and dandy, but action is what is needed now more than ever. One of the bigger issues of our day, in my opinion, is that we have convinced ourselves that we are doing something by doing virtually nothing at all. The nothing I'm describing is, for example, waiting around for the next tragedy or issue to happen so that we can tweet about it or post about it on Facebook. Posts, hashtag, rants, or by typing out, in my opinion, what is one of the most god-awful sentiments in the history of ever, thoughts and prayers. I love the song Walking in the Snow by Run the Jewels. I won't share the entire song with you here, but if you can, go listen to the whole thing. And while listening to it, go on your little Google there and and type in lyrics for Walking in the Snow and read them while you are going through the song. Incredibly powerful. Very, very, very powerful. Here's one few lines from the song that I think help exemplify what, what we're doing to ourselves. Sitting on our couches, typing on our phones instead of actually fucking doing something. Hear the lyrics. And every day on evening news, they feed you fear for free. And you so numb, you watch the cops choke out a man like me. Until my voice goes from a shriek to whisper, I can't breathe. And you sit there in the house on couch and watch it on TV. The most you give is a Twitter rant and call it a tragedy. But truly the travesty, you've been robbed of your empathy. Replaced it with apathy. Those are just some of the lyrics. But that is what we do, right? Consume all the fear. 
than type up virtually meaningless responses from our couches. And that's as far as we go. We feel like we've accomplished something. But friends, in a few weeks, democracy is on the ballot in these upcoming elections. Decency, love, inclusivity, diversity, women's rights, human rights are on the ballot. And in the last few weeks, there have been multiple unprecedented hurricanes causing untold amounts of damage and devastating loss of life here and abroad. So much going on. We've got to move beyond putting our fingers to work on our phones to talk about it online or to talk about it with friends. Less thoughts and prayers, less talk, more action. Number two, be the last one out. Being the first one in matters. It really does. It takes boldness. It takes guts. But being the last one out in a desperate retreat, as the quote describes it, is much harder. It requires resilience. It requires steadfastness. It requires strength, like lots of strength. We've all seen those videos of athletes overcoming great challenges, right? To finish their race or their obstacle or their game. There's one super athlete, I guess you could call him. His name is Jesse Eitzler. He's an entrepreneur and someone who has taken his body to extreme lengths. Let me preface this by saying what I'm about to describe. I'm not saying everybody should do this. I'm not saying anybody should do this. I'm using as an example of someone who has built up the kind of resilience, the kind of steadfastness, the kind of strength that I think we're going to need to move forward on lots of these issues in our society, whether it's women's rights or human rights or refugee rights or our prison system or the police or the biggest of all, I think, our climate crisis. So Jesse has done some crazy things with his body. He's run several, many 100-mile races. Takes an entire day. And in the past, I have followed along on Instagram as his team documents the trip. I'll sit there for sometimes a couple hours on end watching this thing, waiting with bated breath as he gets 50 miles, 60 miles, 70 miles in. Think about that. 70 miles of running. He occasionally stops for a rest and he says, you know, something he not says, mutters like my body is shutting down. You can see his body shutting down, kind of shaking, almost convulsing. And then a few minutes later, he gets up. He gets up because he knows that if he doesn't get up, he is not going to get up at all. He gets up and continues the race and he finishes. And again, it's important to be the first one in. But it's also important to be there all the way to the end in these very big battles that we have right now raging and the ones that we have ahead of us. Anyone can start a race. Anyone can start a battle for a better future for our children. But it's the, one, it's the ones who are the last ones out in a desperate retreat that matter. And lastly, let's wrap this up, y'all. Thank you for listening. If you're still here, this many minutes in, me just babbling, I really appreciate it. Third and last, laugh the loudest. Why is this important? 
Now, I think I think this one is the hardest and the most important. So if being first is hard and being the last one out is harder, this is the hardest of all. It's the hardest for me, if I'm being completely honest, because it's counterintuitive in so many ways. To laugh and feel hopeful and to give hope to others when things are hard and when times are tough, that's difficult. And not laugh at it, laugh in it. Like hope, hope is what I'm talking about. And let me say this, I may get in trouble for saying this, but it's harder for rich people to laugh the loudest and to provide this kind of hope. Not saying rich people can't do it, but this kind of toughness, this laughing over, as the quote said, a scantier meal, a small meal, not enough food, not enough water, not enough stuff, not enough clothes, not enough sleep. It's harder to do that when you have everything, when you don't want for anything. And I see this kind of hope. I see this kind of laughter. I see this kind of response much more among the poor. And again, I'm not saying that we all shouldn't make as much money as we can and do good with it. We absolutely should. We need more money being made and put into great projects and people and organizations and things, right? I'm just saying that in all the years that I've spent in dozens of countries around the world, mostly in the developing world, the most sincere hope I've seen are from people who have suffered the most and who lack the most. Jesus himself said in what is commonly known as the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, I'm going to read from the message again, you're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. You're blessed when you feel you've lost what is most dear to you. You're blessed when you're content with just who you are. No more, no less. One of my favorite scenes from A Christmas Carol is when Scrooge and the ghost of Christmas present look into the window of Bob Bob Cratchit's house, right? Scrooge's underpaid, overworked, but ever faithful employee, Bob Cratchit, despite having nothing, like next to nothing. They look happy. They treat each other with hope and kindness and love. And they, they, the scene that they see looking through that window is you'd think that they had everything in the world. Herman Melville has this amazing short quote that goes something like this. I know not all that may be coming, but be it what it will, I'll go to it laughing. To win the fight ahead, the fights ahead, the battles ahead, the big issues that we have to storm after and overcome, we must learn to laugh at the enemy, to laugh at evil, to laugh at those that would oppose us, and to laugh because we have hope. Be the first one in, be the last one out, and laugh the loudest. That is, I believe, how we lead each other and all of our children into a better future. These past couple years, y'all, let's wrap up here. These past couple years with COVID, I'm tired. Anyone tired, worried, anxious? God knows. God sees. God wants to help. And the last thing I want for you to do is to leave this podcast today feeling guilty that you're not doing enough. Now, maybe you aren't. Maybe you do need to do more. But I know so many of you are already doing so much. 
you're busy, you're overwhelmed. School loans, work, multiple jobs, kids, all the things. And on top of that, you're trying to figure out how to give a damn. Here's what I want. I simply want you, us, to consider what I've talked about, the why we should work this way and the how we should work this way, to consider if we are doing what we can with all the complications of life and family and work because it's up to us to make sure our kids get a better version of this planet than we got from our ancestors. It's up to us to make sure that the next generation gets to own the store, as the psalmist talked about. I want this for you. I want this for our kids and for their kids and for their kids and for their kids and for their kids. At the end of a church service or mass, there's usually a benediction or a blessing. So I'm going to do that here. I hope it isn't too weird. I think these are good. I always look forward to, when I go to mass, I always look forward to the benediction because it's, you know, we've, at that point, we've prayed and we've lit candles and we've heard, you know, great songs and prayers and maybe a short sermon, whatever. And I'm just looking for it, man. I know what's out that door. It's a tough world. Things are hard. Things are difficult. And I always look forward to the benediction. It's this last jolt of energy before we leave. So receive this benediction, friends. May God bless us with discomfort at easy answers, half-truths, and superficial relationships so that we may live deep within our hearts. May God bless us with anger at injustice, oppression, and exploitation of people so that we may work for justice, freedom, and peace. May God bless us with tears to shed for those who suffer from pain, rejection, starvation, and war so that we may reach out our hands to comfort them and turn their pain into joy. And I love this one. May God bless us with enough foolishness to believe that we can make a difference in this world so that we can do what others claim cannot be done. Well, there you have it. You heard me preach. You heard me give a sermon. Probably not something you came ready to listen to today, but there you have it. I know that some of that might have been uncomfortable if you're not used to or even don't like or hate religious overtones. But if you made it this far, I hope it helped you in some way. Let's make sure to leave our planet better than we found it for the kids. Thank you so much for showing up. Thank you so much for spending time with me this week. To find links for everything mentioned in today's episode and to keep up with all things Let's Give a Damn, visit letsgiveadam.com. Please share this episode with a friend. Please leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And please show up next week. We have so many more incredible conversations coming your way. And remember, you can reach out to me anytime and for any reason at hello at letsgiveadam.com. I love you all. Be safe. Keep giving a damn. Bye for now.